please to 1 Thessalonians and Hebrews chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the last chapter, and then Hebrews chapter 4. Paul writing here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We human beings are unquestionably unique creatures. We differ from all other creatures in so many ways. But the primary way that we differ is that we alone are a tripartite being. That means to say that we are spirit, we live in a body, and we have a soul. And that distinction separates us from all other of God's creation. We are by far the most creative, the most intuitive, the most discerning of all of God's creation. We have the greatest aspirations and potential of all creatures. Whenever you drive past a cow eating grass in a field, whatever that old cow is thinking, you can be sure it's not thinking about becoming an astronaut or a train driver. It has no such aspirations. But as human beings, we can aspire. Man has aspired even to go to the moon itself and has done that. Such as the aspiration of man. We can worship God. We can serve God. Out of all of God's creation, we alone can knowingly, consciously, deliberately commune with Almighty God. That separates us completely from everything else. The Bible says in Psalm 8, we have been made just a little lower than the angels. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that for those of us who are the redeemed of the Lord, that God's angels are sent to us to minister to us and minister for us. And so it's obvious then that we are very, very different. We are spirit we live in a body, and we have a soul. Now, there are some obvious and some not so obvious distinctions between those three things. In the original language, in the Greek language, spirit was pneuma, pneuma, and it meant air or wind or breath. So spirit was illustrated as air or breath or wind. The soul 
was suke. And suke is where we get words like psycho and psyche from. And obviously, words like psychiatrist and psychoanalyst, people who deals with the mind, with the thinking processes. And body is soma. And that's why oftentimes in the medical profession that they talk about something being psychosomatic. In other words, the mind has had an effect on the body, whether real or imaginary, but the mind has affected the body. And all of us know that if we worry and fret or be over-anxious, that it does and can affect the physical body. There is a connection between all of these things. So here are spirit, soul, and body. These are three centers, if you will, of consciousness, of awareness. Now, first of all, spirit. Our, our spirit is the God-conscious part of us. It's the part of man that is capable of knowing God, of communing with God. It's God-conscious. Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. That's why it's inescapable. It's unavoidable. However much we deny it, and there's lots who do deny it. But at the end of the day, it's inescapable because God has put it into our hearts. 1 Peter 3 and 4 calls the Spirit the hidden man of the heart. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.16 calls that the inward man. And that's where our conscience is and our intuition. Spirit is a wonderful thing. And in the soul, if the spirit is the God-conscious part of us, then the soul is the self-conscious part of us. The part that's capable of knowing ourselves. Capable, obviously, of thinking and reasoning. Capable of rationale. And so that's the soul part of us, the seat of the mind and the will and the emotions. Now, often in the Scripture, these two, spirit and soul, are used interchangeably because even though they are distinguishable, yet they are indivisible. And so even though they are different, yet they are connected. Connected so much that oftentimes in Scripture, the same terms is used. But there is a distinction. The two scriptures we read as our text at the beginning tells us clearly there is a division between the spirit and the soul and the joints and the marrow, the body, in other words. And sometimes in scripture, the term soul simply refers to an individual person. God says, all souls are mine, or the soul that sinneth, it shall die meaning the individual person. And so even though when you read through Scripture, sometimes these terms overlap, but yet there is a very close association between them. And in the body, if the spirit is the God-conscious part of us and the soul is the self-conscious part of us, the body is the sense-conscious part of us. It's the part that relates to the world around us. Everything we know about the world around us, everything in the material, physical world, we understand it by our senses that are in our body. Those 
what we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we smell, what we taste. That's how we recognize and see and understand that which is around us. Uh, those centers are in our body. God put them there for us to relate to that which is around us. Now the soul is the connection between the body and the spirit. And the soul has the power to influence either or both. So there's this interconnectedness between the spirit, the soul, and the body that can affect and impact us in our daily lives. And even though there's much similarity between soul and spirit, yet there are differences. And it would be well for us to understand that there are differences. And so this morning, I want to center our thoughts really on the spirit and there are various names in Scripture used for spirit, uh, the heart, or the belly, or the innermost being, or the hidden man of the heart, or the candle of the Lord in Proverbs twenty twenty seven, or the inner man. All of these terms are used to describe the spirit, the innermost part of our being that's clothed in a body that has a soul. After you receive Christ, your spirit is reborn. It is recreated. And that's why then Paul calls your spirit the new man. And that's why he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a species that has never been before. Once you are born again, you are doubly unique. You are very special. Something's happened to you that has changed you, that has made you a new creature. Now, you look the same on the outside, obviously, but inside you are entirely different. Your spirit that God gave you has been reborn, has been recreated, now in the image of God, now can commune with God, can begin to understand God, can hear from God, can sense God. Therefore, because our spirit is the God-conscious part of us, then we have individually, we've got a responsibility in order to, to grow our spirit, to enable and enhance and ennoble, ennoble our spirit in other words, we've got to do something with this reborn, recreated spirit that God has given us. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Now listen, all of us do something with our bodies and with our souls. We feed our bodies. We groom our bodies. We clothe our bodies. Some of you exercise your bodies. Some of you exercise your bodies a lot. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who now resides within us. When it comes to the soulish part of us, all of us, in one way or another, we feed our souls. Perhaps that may be through what we read, uh, maybe through what we see, uh, you know, if you go to a beautiful part of the countryside and you look around at the 
wonderful grandeur of God's great creation uh, that's feeding the soulish part of you. Some of you study a lot. Some of you have went to further education. Some of you have stimulated the soulish part of you more than others perhaps, but you've done something with it. And that being the case then, how much more do we need to take care of the spirit, the God-conscious part of us? We take, part of the, we take care of the part of us that, that deals with everything around us. We take care of the part that makes us think and rationalize and visualize. But what about the God-conscious part of us? What about the part that connects with God? What do we do with that part of us? That's the most important part. Paul says bodily exercise profits a little. And it does. But in comparison to the spirit, the most important part, what do we do with that? How do we look after that? How do we cause it to grow and to mature? How do we cause that to become much more in touch and in tune with the Almighty. Well, first of all, and it's rather obvious, isn't it? Just the way you feed your body, you've got to feed your spirit. And just the way you give bread to your body, you've got to give bread for your spirit. And the bread I'm speaking about is the Word of God, is it not? Now, here I go again, hammering, beating this drum. And as long as I'm in this church, I'll keep forever beating this drum because it's the most important drum I've got to beat. And if I can get you to understand that this is the main way of feeding your spirit, of causing your spirit to grow. This is the food that you need. Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Our little grandson's here today, little Noah. And as a typical infant, starting out, can only, can only take milk, can only begin with milk. But now he's got to the stage now at a year now he's beginning to eat all those lovely Tesco meals for children. He loves them. He wolfs them down. And he's growing like a benweed. Well, he'll still take a little drop of milk, but now he's moving on a little bit. And there'll come a point, of course, when he'll eat much more solid food. Whenever he gets to the stage where he can handle a knife and fork, I'd rather keep him awake as a fortnight at that point. That's why Hebrews 5, 12 and 14 says, Meat belongs to them that are of a full age. And of course the same applies, doesn't it, here in the spiritual sense, that whenever you're a brand new Christian, you don't understand very much. You don't... You read in the Bible and you're saying, God, I, 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 I don't even know what I'm reading here. But you start off simply, you start off with the four Gospels. And out of those four Gospels, you'll be taking the milk of the Word. And if you keep doing that, then you'll keep growing. 
to the point where you will begin to understand much more. And hopefully, hopefully you'll move on from that to the meat of the Word. Where you're not just depending on me on a Sunday or whoever preaches in here on a Sunday to feed you. We ought to feed your spirit. We ought to feed you. But you ought not to be dependent upon that. You ought to be able to feed yourself. Are you still with me? And there's lots of ways you can do that. You say, I'm not a reader. Well, you can get the Bible on tape, if you like. Get it on cassette, I should say. Get it on DVD now. You can get it in all kinds of ways. And if you do read and you can read, there are so many helps today. Go into any Bible bookshop. It is, shelves are groaning. There's shed loads of books that you can get to help you to be able to feed on the Word of God. Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, for those of you over the years who have maybe fasted for particular seasons, particular reasons, uh, you'll know how your body craves food, particularly the first few days when you don't eat I mean, the first three or four days, you are absolutely ravenous. You can hardly sleep, you're that hungry. And you say, I'm starving. No, you're not, you just missed a few meals. <laughs> but that's how we feel like. But one of the things, one of the primary reasons why God gets us to fast is, is to see how much we desire, how much we crave, how much we need physical food. And what he says is now, that same desire, that same craving, that same need for physical food, that's what you need for your spirit. Have you got the same desire to feed your spirit as you have to feed your body? And that's what God tries to sense in us in a fast. And it's those first few days Will you really recognize that? You'll so desperately want to eat. And everywhere you go, somebody will be making a big fry. Or you'll walk past a chippy and you'll smell the fish suppers. <laughs> and every house you go to, I want to make you something. And I've just baked a pie for you coming and you can't eat it. And you're desperate to eat it. But how desperate are we to feed on the Word of God? And Jesus said in John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So why is it we think that we can grow spiritually without feeding on the Word of God? The truth is we can't really. We deceive ourselves. We think we are, but we're not. We will grow spiritually proportionate to the food that we eat. This is the food that you eat. Now, as I've often said, sometimes you're reading through the Scriptures and maybe you feel, I'm not getting much out of it. Well, that's like sometimes you eat. Have you ever had your tea at night? You've had your dinner at night and you ate your dinner and you hardly even remember what you ate. Your wife says to you, did you enjoy that? Yes. Did you like that bit of fish? Oh, that was fish, was it? You ate the thing, and you hardly even remember what you ate. 
You just ate it. But it'll do you good. It'll do your body good. But how much better if you enjoy it and you like it and you get a lovely taste with it and you're salivating thinking about it right now because <laughs> it's near lunchtime. <laughs> well, the Word of God's that got sometimes. Sometimes you eat it and you can hardly remember what you ate. Other times you eat it and you really enjoy it. You get something out of it. You can taste it. It's good. It's like... Now here's another little thing that we need to watch. And people try to do this. To try to develop your spirit beyond your level of understanding of God's Word can lead to error and imbalance. I'll say that again too. Develop your spirit beyond your level of understanding of God's word can lead to error and imbalance. There's movements today out there in the Christian world who have left the book behind. They've gone beyond the scripture. They're into the esoteric. And sometimes they're into weird, and I mean really weird prophetical stuff that goes way beyond the word of God. And that's how they end up in great error and tremendous imbalance because they've gone beyond the level of their understanding of God's Word. This is what keeps us anchored and keeps us right. And so the Word of God is so important and we've got to meditate on the Word of God. In Joshua chapter 1 is that great scripture, isn't it? Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth and you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night. In my margin it says you shall be constantly in it. How often do you lift this book throughout the week? You shall be constantly in this. You know, whenever that was written, they didn't have as much of the Word of God as we have today. But they were to be constantly in it. In Psalm, Psalm 1, Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now in my margin, it's slightly different, the word for meditates here. In my margin here it says, ponders by talking to himself. <laughs> this is one time when talking to yourself is a sign of wisdom <laughs> and being smart. Sometimes we mutter to ourselves. Don't you ever find yourself muttering away, chuntering away to yourself? But how much better if we're muttering the Word of God? If we're pondering it by talking to yourselves about it. What does that mean? Well, it means asking yourself a question. Lord, what are you trying to say? 
Holy Spirit, why did you phrase that that way? Why is that scripture right there? What are you trying to get through to me today? And as you talk to yourself that way, the Holy Spirit will talk to you and give you enlightenment and open your eyes to some things. And then suddenly it will come to you. mightn't be at that moment, but maybe later on in the day, suddenly it will come to you because you've asked the question. You've been desirous to know. You wanted to know. What is this? Why is this here? Who's he speaking to? Why did he say that? And when you start to ask those questions, then you start to get answers. So ponders by talking to himself. And then in Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. If you are reading and meditating and pondering the Word of God, it will start to dwell in you richly. And before you know it, all kinds of scriptures will start to come to your mind. In situations, a promise will come. An encouragement will come. A word of guidance will come to your life. Because it's dwelling in you richly. And it's feeding your spirit. We need to feed our spirit, don't we? And we need to meditate on the word of God. We need to think about it. Kingsley, there's a farmer and Barclay are farmers. They know that a cow chews the cud. It gobbles up the grass, and then later on, <clears throat> it chews it again. Sorry to be so blunt about that and crude about that, but it's near lunchtime. It's not a nice thought, is it? But it does it. And that's what it's like when you ponder and you meditate and you think on the Word. It's like chewing the cud. You eat it as you read it, and then you eat it again later as you ponder it. And that helps you to digest it. It breaks it up and it assimilates it into your spirit and causes your spirit to become stronger. And of course, in John 16, there's a wonderful promise that the Holy Spirit uh, will help us. And that's part of his ministry to us. In verse 12 of John 16... Jesus said, I, have still, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you things to come. And so as we meditate, as we read, as we ponder the Word of God, the Holy Spirit then will guide us and steer us, our lives, in the right direction.
But then we've got to obey the Word of God. And James chapter 1 says, A man looks into a mirror, and then he walks away, and he forgets what he was like. So he's got to keep coming back and looking in. And then he walks away, and he forgets what he's like, and then he comes back again. The Word of God, whenever we look into the Word of God, we look into the mirror of God's Word. And there's lots of scriptures which I haven't time to give you this morning, but we look into the mirror of God's Word. Then we become like what we see in that mirror. We become like what the Word of God says we are in Christ. And the more we look into the mirror of the Word of God, the more of Christ is reflected back at us. Now, obeying the Word of God is absolutely vital and important. How much do we obey the Word of God? Let's just look at this little scripture. You know it very, very well. Matthew chapter 6. It's a simple scripture. But let's just test ourselves. See what we're like. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Simple statement. It's not a suggestion. It's a command, isn't it? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Which if you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore... In case we missed it, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Huh. Do we get past the first hurdle? Hmm? How many times have you and I found ourselves worrying ourselves sick about something? And those commands of Christ are swept aside. You say, but David, we're just human. Well, Jesus knows we're just human. He's not asking us to do the impossible, is he? In fact, he said three times in those scriptures, do not worry. Why? Because he knows the devastating effect that worry has on us. And it does make us sick. And it will give us ulcers. And it will not cure anything we're worrying about. 
He will not give us any answers whatsoever. That doesn't mean to say that there shouldn't things that we shouldn't be concerned about, that we have to deal with and we have to do. Not talking about that. You can't go through life in a bubble, not deal with anything. But it does mean worry, over-anxious, fretting. Do not worry. In Philippians chapter 4, Verse 6, Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. How can you be anxious for nothing? There's how. By everything in prayer and supplication. It's hard to be anxious and to be prayerful at the same time. It's hard to be anxious and to be prayerful and thankful at the same time. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Why with thanksgiving? Because thanksgiving causes you to look back at the answers God's given you in the past. And if you can look back at the answers God's given you in the past and be thankful for them, it helps you for the present and it helps you for the future. Because then you can say, well, God, you helped me then, you can help me now. God, you healed me then, you can heal me now. God, you met my need then, you can meet my need now. So when you're being thankful, you're being thoughtful. And you remember, and that helps us presently. So it goes on to say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, your spirit and your soul through Christ Jesus. Will guard, will garrison. It's a military term Paul uses. Will stand guard around your heart's and your mind, your spirit, and your soul. And that helps us not to worry and not to be anxious and afraid and fretting. So easier said than done, yes, but, but we have got to be able to do this. Otherwise, Jesus and Paul and Peter, 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The fact that Jesus and Peter and Paul all said this, had they anything that would cause them anxiety? Was there anything that they could have worried about? Did they just breeze through life and not a care in the world? I don't think so. I think they had plenty come against them in life. But somehow or other, they managed to be able to get a guard around their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, how do you build up your spirit? Through the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, and by having a day-by-day -day walk with the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. This day. Genesis 3, 8. God 
walking with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. What a lovely image before the fall where God would come into the garden at a certain time in the cool of the day and he would talk to Adam and Eve. And he had a beautiful, intimate, close relationship every single day. And we don't know how many days that was or how many years that was for that matter. But every day in the cool of the day until sin came and separated God and man. Then Jesus came and reconciled God and man back together. And that's where we are today so that we can have relationship, a day-by-day walk with the Lord. Proverbs 20, uh, 27, 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Now you know if you've got a good friend, you know, somebody that you love to be in their company. You spend hours in their company, and they sharpen you, their conversation. You know, you, you just gel together, and while you're with them, for those moments you're with them, there's a sharpening goes on. They sharpen you, you sharpen them. And this is the way it's supposed to be between us and the Lord. As we're in His presence, in His company. He sharpens us. And that we, in a sense, sharpen Him because He wants a relationship. He wants our companionship. That's what He desires. Ecclesiastes 10.10 10, If the iron be blunt... And he do not sharpen the edge, then must he put to more strength. Whether that's a man chopping down a tree, whether that's a man with a scythe and a hay field, both knows that they've got to stop and they've got to sharpen the edge. Because if they don't stop and sharpen the edge, then it makes the work much harder to cut the tree down or to cut the corn down. But if they stop periodically during the day and just take a breather and just sharpen the edge, then they can cut it clean and cut it quicker and they become more efficient. It is not the hardest thing for us to do is each day just take a little bit of time to sharpen the edge. A little bit of time just to close yourself off, walk away from the TV or the papers that we read or magazines or the books and nothing wrong with a lot of those, but just taking that little bit of time and being alone with the Lord. That may be in your room, it may be outside in the walk, it may be in your back garden, it may be in your car, whatever the case may be, as long as you're not driving, of course. And then you just take a little bit of time to be with the Lord. And as you do that, you'll find that your spirit will begin to grow. And all the word of God that has been in there, that's dwelling richly, will begin to come out. It'll begin to come out. Sally and I just, last week we were in a particular place and seeing particular things. It wasn't really a holiday. It, was a, it wasn't even a pilgrimage. It was a, something we always wanted to do. And, and as we were walking around and looking at the photographs and different things, it's amazing how just suddenly a scripture will come to you. And as I looked at a particular photograph, a scripture just come to my heart. And as we went home that night to where we are staying, I was able to get out the Word of God and just check it up and look at it and just put the two together. And, and that's because the Word is in your heart. And then when you see something or you face something, then the Word of God comes out. <laughs> so, building up your spirit, especially and particularly by the Word of God, 
build it up and get strong in your spirit. Amen? Then when you come to the house of God and you hear the word of God being preached, it makes much more sense. Because maybe, how many times over the years have I preached a message and some of you have come to me and said, Pastor, do you know that was the very thing I was reading this week? That was the very thing I was reading this week. And sometimes then it makes more sense to you. Or sometimes you come to me after I preached and you said, you know, I was looking at that last week and here's a little thought I had. And I say to you, I wish you'd have told me that before the service started. I could have used that. Of course, I would have given you credit for it. <laughs> but that's because you've been reading it during the week and your spirit man has been built up. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you, Lord, that there is life in these words. Lord, they're not just words and ink on a page, but there's something supernatural happens whenever we read the word of God or we hear the word of God or we speak the word of God. It becomes alive and real helps us in our daily walk and in our daily lives. So help us, Lord, to meditate, to read, to ponder, to speak, to think about your word. Lord, that we be built up in our innermost being. Lord, that our spirit becomes strong. And Lord, whenever we face the difficulties of life, Lord, we think of you in the wilderness being tempted by the evil one and how immediately the word of God rose up in your heart. It was your first line of attack. It was your first defense. Lord, help us to be like that so that the word of God dwells in us richly. Thank you, Lord, for this Lord's day. Bless your house, Lord. Help us, Lord, to come, Lord, and receive. And then, Lord, to take it and to live it and to work it out in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.